Okay. Yeah. So um, it's all right. You're not entering a time warp. This is where I started a couple of weeks ago, and I just wanted to remind you of what we're doing, I believe, as we, as we check out the bones, the bones of Joseph. What we believe God has asked us to do at this time is to hold like a plumb line against that which he's been building amongst us. And um, as we hold up that plumb line, we'll be able to see how true what it is he's been building is. Now, what God builds is always true, but sometimes what we do with it becomes wonky. And as I said last time, you can have small discrepancies on different courses of bricks that end up that a tree, that are different courses of bricks, that a wall can be out of true um, by quite a way, by just small discrepancies. So the foundation is absolutely key. The person we need to, there's, there's two instructions I thought of. Um, one of them is an instruction to God. This is from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a, that's a good prayer to have at this time. That's a good, because God is very good at searching our hearts. And sometimes we're not so good. But there is another scripture that talks about this, um, where it talks about breaking of bread, and it talks about the fact that a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And this word, examining yourself, it comes from a, a word that talks about whether, it's, um, whether what you're looking at is, is actually true. In ancient times, mints were produced, sorry, Coins were produced by lots of different mints. Sorry, I'm just thinking of mints because you're all sitting there sucking on your mints. No. Um, coins were produced by lots of different mints. And one of the things you could do to neaten up a coin, you could you know, just shave a little bit off the edge. And that's why we have milling on our coins today, so you can't actually do that. But it was really common that you would take a little bit. And the money changers would just take a little bit from each coin so that they ended up being able to make extra coins, literally making money. Now, some people refuse to do that. And that's, those, are the, those were the dokimos, or approved money changers. And um, God wants us to be approved workmen. Those that are not trying to shave a bit off. Those that are not trying to do things the easy way, but actually are working as he would have us work. So, today's topic is... No? Okay, oh, it's because of the two slides Today's topic is living from a different source, or, question for you, am I living by the power Christ died to give me? Everyone draws strength from somewhere. Where do you draw yours from? See, I feel kind of, it's a bit better. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking the key point in my life came when somebody came to, to a, a CU weekend Christian Union weekend, and they started talking about um, this funny woman who was a Samaritan. And you can read her story in John 4. This woman was by a well. She'd gone to the well to draw water. In fact, she drew water every day, but she used to go there particularly at funny times so she didn't have to meet anyone else because of what her life was like. Now, one day, 
she's going to the well and she's minding her own business and she sees a man sitting by the well. Now the man happens to be Jesus. And when Jesus sees her, he asks her for a drink. She's fairly uh, taken aback by this and um, she says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not even associate with Samaritans. Then he answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, many of us in our lives, we have things that we draw water from. They might be our families. They might be our friends. It might be things that we do that sustain us. Maybe it's singing the right song. Maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's reading the Bible. These things in themselves are not bad. In fact, they're good characteristics of a well-balanced life. But they don't earn God's blessing. When Jesus spoke with the Samaritan woman, she said, you've got nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. Sometimes we can feel a bit like that. We know there's some water somewhere, but actually, somehow, it just seems out of reach. We've got nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. But Jesus said, if you knew who it was who was asking you, you'd have asked them, and they'd have given you living water. The word for living is fresh, or flowing, bubbling up. See, there's a problem with the living water, with, sorry, there's a problem with the water that we get from the world. This is some water I got from the world. Um, it came in a cup. It's a limited supply. And no matter how much I drink it, in a few moments, I'm going to be thirsty again. But Jesus promised to put in us a spring that would never run dry. Not because we were great, but because he set his heart on us, because he set his love on us. So there's lots of things we can do to try and get the water out of the well. Working hard, helping people, going to church, reading the Bible. Praying and fasting. You know, we can try and earn God's kindness in lots of different ways. But you know that the good news is better than that. 
There's lots of stories about Jesus that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God. He talks about a housewife who lost a coin. He talks a shepherd who lost a sheep, about a man who'd found a treasure in a field. And in each case, the person who does the searching is the man. And the man represents the father. The person who lost the coin in the house that swept the whole house, that's representing God. I was a coin that the world discarded. I was a coin that had been lost. And God searched the whole house until he found me. I was a lost sheep, and he went and he found me. At some point between my childhood and when I was at university, he sought me out, and he drew me to himself. He sold and gave everything he had to own the field where I was buried. You know, if I'm a coin, I can't do anything about being lost. I need the Father to find me. So what can I do? Well, grace demands complete surrender. Life can never be the same. Our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes and feelings all come into submission to his will and his way. Does that mean I never have the second thought? Does that mean I never have the thought that I regret? Isn't it wonderful that all things work together for good according to his purpose and for those who are called according to his purpose and will? When I have the wrong thought, God uses that to sharpen me. He uses that to draw me to himself. He uses that in the spirit-filled man to draw him to himself. You can know that drawing today. You can know that God is there. So when things pop into your head, you can be, as Paul writes in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. <laughs> That's just confirmation coming through. The old has gone, the new has come. The old has gone, the new has For some of you, you need to say that to yourself. When you look in the mirror, the old has gone. Now, that doesn't mean sometimes we don't get noises from the house next door. You know what I mean by noises from the house next door? When we are, when we are born again, when Christ meets with us, sometimes we get echoes of things that we've, of thought processes, of habits that we've known from the past. But the power, the power is beaten. And the way the power is taken out of these things because of our surrender to God. James puts it like that, doesn't he? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, as you submit to God, you resist the devil. Sometimes we, we have our minds full of this thing that's there that I need to resist. Whereas actually, we need to turn around and look at God 
And then that thing suddenly loses its power. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of this kingdom, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Objects of wrath. I don't fancy being an object of wrath. But we have a fearsome God. We have a powerful God. And, uh, and as we come to him, we need this grace. Now, how's the table going to come up? Oh, the table's going to come up all at once, that's fine. So, before we met with Christ, we were dead in our sins. We were objects of God's wrath. We were followers of the way of the world, and we were controlled by Satan. You know, oh, no, I wasn't. I did exactly what I wanted to do. Uh-uh. Everyone serves somebody. It's our choice whether we serve the king of heaven or the king of the earth. So let me, so I picked up with, um, so it was Ephesians chapter 2. So, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, as it's by grace we've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, and not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. One of our foundations is that we believe there's no one here that God hasn't prepared good works to do. There are good works that God has put ahead of you. You don't know what they are yet. Later we'll be looking at scripture that says, we don't know what we'll become. But you know, there are things to discover that he's put across your path, that he will put across your path, that he has prepared in advance for you to do. God's always been looking after us, even before the world began. It's not because we deserve it. God chooses it to. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Praise to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace through which he has freely given us, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. God chose us. That's why we're here. God chose us. Jesus said to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Sometimes we feel like we've wandered into a supermarket of faith and we've wandered around and we've thought about that one, thought about that one, thought about that one. And we think, no, 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 I'm going to choose this one. Looks like the best deal. Uh Uh-uh. God chose you. God chose you. God chose you. God chose you to be changed into the likeness of his son. I don't mean you have to grow a beard, ladies, assuming Jesus had a beard, which is quite likely. I mean the greatness that he has, the holiness he has, the love he has, the words he has. We're blessed, adopted, chosen, We're blessed. He gives us great things. I read in the news that um, adoption figures have gone up. There's a higher number of adoptions in the last year than previously, which is good news. God has adopted us, which means that he's chosen us to be his child. To be his child. And redeemed... I remember Anthony talking about this, uh, a lovely illustration. What does it mean to be redeemed? If you've ever been to North Wales, boyo, and you've seen, that's, really, that's South Wales, really. But if you've ever been to North Wales, and you've been to a place called Blyneye Festiniog, there are piles and piles and piles of slate waste. They used to dig slate out of the ground, and if the slate wasn't good enough, they chucked it over the, out the side of the mountain. And... Um, When you go into Blyneye Festiniog, it used to be a beautiful town. Um, It's an industrial town now. And there are piles and piles of this grey stuff all over the place, just chucked out as being worthless. And Anthony's illustration was he'd been to one of these mines and he bought, I think it was a clock. I'm going to say it was a clock. Oh, it was a slate for the aquarium. Right, Okay. So he he bought a lump of this rock and he put it in his aquarium. And this lump of rock had been thrown out and discarded and it became a key feature in his home. It became something that he admired. Yeah? And that's a bit like we are. We might be on the refuse tip of life, but when God picks us up, he has a special purpose in mind. See, grace is an amazing thing. Because it's got the power to change the heart of the issue. And our problem has always been, fundamentally, that we want to be independent. Whereas God wants people in community. We like to do things our way, 
whether it's good or bad. And we like to do, um, and we like to have control of our lives, and do what we think is best. You see, if we hear God's voice, and we choose not to do it, we can dress it up in a lot of different ways, but it's rebellion. It's about knowing the good that you ought to do and not doing it. We've got another word that describes it, and it's one of the words we can use for sin, one of the definitions we can use for sin. Rebellion, is, it sounds like something we'd never have anything to do with, but rebellion is simply knowing the good you ought to do and not doing it. And why do we live like that? Because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. We're fundamentally selfish. We need to tap into his help for change. But we can, Hebrews 4.16 says, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This thing called grace... It's God's undeserved goodness to us. You know, when I mess things up, God still gives to me. He doesn't reward me as my sins deserve. He doesn't reward you as your sins deserve. He chooses to put his favor on you and to give you strength to help in time of need. Our time of need, well, kind of any time really. When do I need God? That's all the time. If we depend on him instead of being independent, if we choose to walk and to take his yoke and to know him walking alongside us, then I think we can know his power to change us and to live the way that he wants us to live. So, all the time... We're thinking about this, and I've got a fair, fair few things, other things to just chuck at you, but I want to I make sure we take time to hold up that line. Hold up that line in your head. Is there something other than God that I'm drawing water from? Is there something that I'm drawing water from that's leaving me thirsty? Because God wants us to be those that draw water from the spring that he's put in us. The spring that we access, not because we've got everything right and sorted, but that we can access because he's chosen us. Not because he chose your parents, not because he chose your parents' parents, not because he chose your wife or your husband, but because he chose you. 
You see, there's nothing I can do on my own. But you know something? Jesus' death did it all. There's nothing I have to contribute. My status before him can't be improved. I am his child. And in that place of realizing that I can't do anything, we call that poverty of spirit, in that place of not being able to do anything, of knowing that I've reached the end of myself, that's when we find the arms that lift us up. That's when we find his spirit working in us. He brings us to his richness, to know his forgiveness, to know his love, and to find that place that we can enjoy him forever. So, the old has gone, and the new has come. God set our feet on this rock. We're now no longer the old man, although the old man might still linger. We are no longer belonging to, those, to that way of thinking. I now belong to him. And his grace is enough. See, we can actually live a life where we can enjoy knowing God, not be fearful of him. Because he sent his Holy Spirit not to condemn us, but to be our helper. And to, to lead us in the way we should go, to speak to us, to guide us, to shape us, to cause the gong to sound when things are, are about to go wrong. God has actually chosen you where he want, to be the place he wants to live. Now sometimes, I've heard, people say, I'd rather not live in East London. Do you know, I, I could li live in a lot of nice places in the world, but you know, sometimes good maze gets me down. I've heard people say that. Obviously, I live in Chadwell Heath, where, which, is, which is so much more rural. And, uh, and uh, you know, the other day I saw some wildlife in the back garden. And, um, but you know, God in his heaven... Sorry, what's going on? I shot it, no. No. But you know, God in his heaven looks down at our mess. And he doesn't look at Seven Kings or Ilford or Good Maze or, or Tottenham. He looks at my heart and complete with all the detritus of life there's nowhere I'd rather live than there. Complete with everything that you go through, there is no one, nowhere, he would rather be than with you. And we get upset about there being a crisp packet in our hedge, you know. I reckon there is a lot more than a few crisp packets in my life. But God's chosen me and chosen to live in me. I am a new creation. This is a scripture. You're the dwelling place of God. And through a continuous infilling of the Holy Spirit, you may be filled to the measure 
of the fullness of God. Now, we might look for fulfillment in all sorts of things, in relationships with others, maybe in drugs, maybe in drink, but being filled with the fullness of God, how can that, how can that, you know, how can those other things come anywhere near what we can experience in him? If you're, not, if you're struggling with temptation or you're struggling with unright living in those areas, God wants to give you enough of him, more of him, so that actually when you're faced with those things, it's just nothing. There is no power in those things. When we can know the living God, living in me, living in you. But this power for radical life, it doesn't come by guts and determination. Jesus had plenty of both, but he didn't start his ministry until he was baptized and filled with the Spirit. We see that the Spirit comes on Jesus in Matthew 3, 16, 17. When his disciples were given the job of go and make disciples of all nations, he said, wait, wait until the power comes on you. This dunamis, it's what we get the word dynamo from, and dynamite. Dunamis, if someone's got dunamis in them, you don't think, oh, I wonder. Dunamis is powerful. Maybe God's calling you at this time, as we check out the bones, to say, I want to know more of that dunamis. I want to live with the fullness of God inside me. Is it possible to live with the fullness of God inside me? The Bible says it is. So we need to live in the power of God to be the people he died to make us. And that spirit is the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. Well, you know what? I always struggle with that kind of thing. Do you know? It just happens. And when she says that, I am bound to respond like that. It's just, I mean, my father did it. His father did it. It's just going to happen. I'm sorry. I'm human. Um, we're not only human. We've been given a choice. Sin shall not be your master, for you're not under law, but under grace. So we can choose because we have the Spirit inside. And um, don't write yourself off. You know, struggle with patience. Probably God wants you to be a care worker. You know, it could well be that actually what God has in mind is to put across your, in your life, a lot of things that you need to be patient with. Children, for example, I've heard. And, and as that happens, we can expect to know God's grace to help us. So this grace, this grace, this amazing grace enables change. 
It enables us to experience God's forgiveness, the power to release it, and the power to receive it. This is the radical life that God's given us. It enables us to, to step into righteousness. See, God enables us to stand before him because when he looks at us, he sees perfection. He sees his son. And as he looks at us and he looks at our heart and he sees all those crisp packets or whatever it is that we've got stored up, somehow, God has cast all those things into the sea of forgetfulness and given us the ability to stand before him righteously. But not only has he made us righteous, he's enabled us to live rightly. The Bible talks about that he's making holy those who are all... Those who are made holy that are being made holy. I can't, oh dear, I've forgotten that scripture. It's another one of those moments. What is it? Can anyone help me? What's it about? Making holy those who have been made holy. That's right. Didn't quite get the words in the right order. I had all the right words, but not necessarily in the right order. He's making holy those who have been made holy. I can't earn grace. I can't earn his presence. I can't earn his life in me. So, if I don't have the fullness of God in me, why is it not there? Why is he not there? Because well, I haven't asked and asked and asked. If, I, if, if somehow, by doing the right thing, I could be filled more, don't you think we'd have done it? Maybe. Maybe not. No. I'm filled to the measure that I allow. And God's calling us to be filled and filled and filled with his grace. We're being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's from 2 Corinthians 3.18. So does sin matter? Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 6. He says, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He came up with the swift answer. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For sin shall not be your master. For you're not under law, but under grace. Sometimes we get really confused about what sin is. We see sin as being all the good things in life. I'm not saying you do, all right? I'm just, I'm saying, you know. But it's like the ultimate cream cake of life, you know. And that God comes along and says, actually, you can't have that cream cake. Sin is not doing the right thing. Sin is choosing, hearing God, having that work that God has prepared in advance for me to do, placed in front of me, given me that amazing opportunity to make a difference in that person's life and choosing not to do it. I don't want to live like that. 
We want to please God because His Spirit's in us. We, we had no way of fighting the temptation to sin before He came, even if we wanted to. But because of what Jesus has done, because of His Spirit in us, we can be free. Sometimes the battles can take a long time. But that's usually something to do with us. There are four steps to living free we talk about in the notes. It comes from Romans 6. I'm going to read you Romans 6 and then we'll, we'll look at these points. Not the whole of it. Romans 6 verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. So much truth in those four words. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your parts, the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as though who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, for you are not under law, but under grace. We make mistakes, but grace provides the way that we can be free. Whatever we've done, these steps release us to his purposes. Excuse me. Count yourself dead to sin. When you pray, understand that the old has gone. And that's a whole mindset thing. Because we're very good at justifying bad behavior. You know, I do this because it wasn't my fault they made me. I'm not normally like that. I was just having a bad day. Sorry, I think I may have just turned into my daughter for a moment. I'm just having a bad day. It's not normally like this at all. I'm normally much better and more patient, but I was just having a bad day. No, you're dead to sin. You don't need to live like that anymore. Don't let sin reign in your body. How on earth do we do that? We submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to his will, to his ways, to his purposes. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin, but rather offer yourselves to God. So, okay, so I know all of this is great stuff, but, um, and I knew this, but I really messed up. And um, what I found was that wasn't how I was living, so I realized that I can't ever get back to where God wants me to be. Because actually, I know this is true, but it's not the way I'm living. And, well, really, you have, to, you have to live like this in order to be pleasing to God. Remember that 
God has set us free completely by grace. There's nothing we've earned. We haven't got everything right. The only reason why I'm able to stand here today and talk to you is because he chose me. Otherwise, I'd still be caught up in all the things that I was caught up in. And God's setting me free. He's made me holy, and he's making me holy. The key is about offering myself to God. The trouble is, when we've got something wrong, we sometimes hold back. We say, well, I did that, and it was too painful, because actually, I just messed up big time. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll look after this bit. I'll, I'll do these things, and I'll leave you know, the, 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 full, uh, the full stuff to, to someone else. You know? But actually, I believe that God's calling us to just, as this covenant meal approaches, to know that living from a different source is about submitting to him in all things. You see, the truth is, what we will be has not yet been made known. God has prepared things in advance for me to do. He has a plan for my life. And that plan, you know that plan? It's his plan. It's not my plan. And you know, my destination may change because of things I do in my life. But he works through the things that happen to me and through me to, to keep me on his plan. If I submit to him, if I come back to that place of submitting to him, I can be restored to him completely. And his plan will happen. And what I saw as being messed up was an illusion anyway, because actually, God saw my heart. It's impossible to have him reigning in my heart and to do the wrong thing. So, in Philippians, Paul, Paul took it like this. I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. You know, he will complete the work. And no matter how many times we go off and we go off, his grace means that he will complete the work. It doesn't say... He'll complete the work most of the time. It doesn't say for most people. He will carry it on to completion. Provided I submit myself to him, he will have his way. How great the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. You know, that's what we are. The reason the world doesn't know him is that he doesn't, it doesn't, sorry, doesn't know us is because he doesn't know them. It's that he did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. 
Isn't that amazing to be part of a body of people that believe that they're being transformed by Jesus? That he has this stash of good works for us to do, not as a body, but individually, and together as a body as well. That when he looked at you, he chose you to be the place where he would live. And that what I will be has not yet been made known. It's more than you can imagine. Ben, more than you can imagine. Greg, more than you can imagine. Nathan, more than you can imagine. What God has made you, will make you, is more than you can imagine or ask. He who has begun a good work in you will see it through to the finish. So I want to just finish there and say, so how about me? How about you? How do I measure up? What is it, Lord, that you have for me today? I think it would be a good time to submit myself again to him and to say, your way, not my way. Your power, not my power. Your strength, not my strength. It's all about him. So I just want to pray. Lord, we believe you've been speaking to us about being the the place that you would live. That somehow in us, the fullness of God can dwell. Your fullness can be in my heart. And I'm not consumed, I'm not burnt up. Because your grace comes with your love and power to change So, Lord, for us this morning, we ask you, help us to bow down before you. Help us to lift you up. Help us to lay all those things that we hold to be so important and so vital ahead of you, to lay them at your feet and say, Lord, it's about you. It's about your purposes. It's about your way that you must increase that we must decrease. Father, would you release your spirit amongst us? Let your spirit move now. Let your spirit move amongst us. Holy Spirit, come. Those whose hearts are open, soften hearts that are hard. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Lord, I believe that for some this has been particularly difficult because you've been trying to draw water from the wrong well and you keep getting thirsty but the well's deep. Jesus, you said, if we knew who it was who was asking, we'd have asked you. And you would have given. 
living water. So, Lord, we follow that command now. And we ask you for living water. Let the living water flow.